Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's 10 o'clock. My name is Tim Harris. It's time for Tim with Tim. It is Wednesday, uh, and it is uh, time for us to jump into the Word. We are going verse by verse right now through the book of 1 Timothy, uh, and I love it. And today's a great passage. I know that you're probably going to have a lot of questions about it. Uh, you probably heard this preached and taught and mispreached and mistaught. Uh, so let's try to just be honest and dig in a, uh, about what the Word of God says here. Paul is talking to Timothy, and he begins to give instructions about public worship. Uh, remember, uh, this letter is written out of a life situation. In other words, uh, Paul is writing instructions to Timothy for a particular task, which is to try to correct the problems in a very troubled church uh, in the city of Ephesus. So Timothy is charged with correcting the problems related to false teachers and correcting the problems related to leadership in the church. And so for that reason, these instructions have that context. And it can't mean for us something it wouldn't have meant to Timothy. You know what I'm saying? And so let's try to understand how Timothy would have read and understood this, and then maybe we can make better sense of it for ourselves and for our situations. Paul begins by just simply saying, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. I, I love this. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Give thanks to God for them. Pray in this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful, quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. First off, I just love that. You can see that for Paul, uh, the aim of prayer, the aim of all of our prayers, or, or what we want for people, is just that, that people can lead peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. I mean, that's, that's just what you want for everybody. And I love the simple, uh, just general basic uh, nature uh, of, of Paul's uh, uh, instructions there. A couple of things. I, I want to call your attention to the word there in verse 2 where it says, you pray that we all can just live lives of, of peace, uh, peaceableness and, and quietude or, or quiet lives as it's often translated. I just want you to notice that because it's the very same word that's going to be used in verse 11 talking about women in teaching and learning situations, quietude, uh, quietness. So before Paul asks that women learn in quietude, he's already saying here in the very beginning of the chapter that everybody should want to live in quietude. So quietude here is expressed as a Christian virtue that is desirable for everybody. Do you see that? Uh, I just point this out because it's it's just often missed. And these kind of hammer texts that, that people use to sort of beat women into some sort of place, some sort of position in the church or in our lives, we often overlook the fact that, that these qualities like submission and quietude are actually Christian virtues for everybody. I mean, Scripture, Paul tells us to you know, submit to one another before he says that women should submit to their husbands, you, you see. So submission itself is a characteristic of Christ, you know, who submitted to the will of the Father. It's something that all of us should strive for. Nobody in the Christian life gets to, you know, rear back and, and, and bark out orders and be the man in charge. Nobody gets to do that. That's not the way of Christ. We all strive toward submission. We all strive toward quietude. You know, nobody wants to be the big mouth, right? I mean, that's not Christian. 
And so I'm just pointing out that here in the very beginning of this chapter, that same word, you know, translated quiet or, or quietude, is, is something desirable for everybody. It, it's probably not best translated silence, you know, so, so start there as well. Now, I, I like also, again, the beginning of the chapter, I love what Paul says about, you know, praying for kings and, and, and authorities, especially in our present political climate, because as Christians, I feel like we've kind of lost our place. We don't, we've lost our minds. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to be, you know, followers of Jesus in this present political climate that is so polarized and everybody is so incapable of hearing a, you know, a, a, a dissenting view. And I just want to point out that here, you know, we pray for all kings, for everybody in authority. You're supposed to do that. So you should be praying for President Biden, you know, a whole lot more than you complain and criticize and gripe about him. You know, same goes for Trump and everybody else. You know, to be praying for these people who are in prominent positions of influence in our, in our country, in our democracy. So start there. Scripture says over and over, pray, pray, pray for leaders, for people in authority, for all government officials. But what do you pray for? You know, I mean, I know you want to pray about him, but what do you pray for? Well, understand, all of this, it pleases God. It's good and it pleases God, our Savior. He wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So God wants everyone to be saved. So in my thinking, what God wants for our nation is whatever's good for the gospel. God wants people to be saved. So when it comes to our upcoming election next year, why don't you and I start praying right now that whatever happens be the best thing for the gospel and we'll accept it as long as it's the best thing for the gospel, you know? And this is what God wants, whatever's best for the gospel, because he wants everybody to be saved. He don't want everybody to be Democrat. He don't want everybody to be Republican. I don't think he cares about that. He wants everybody to be saved. God wills what's best for the gospel. So when it comes to our government, let's you and I, let's just start praying and working for whatever's best for the gospel. I don't care if it's good for any political party. I don't even care about the leaders. I just want whatever happens, whoever's in position, I want that person to be the best thing that ever happened for the gospel. You see that? Uh, I, I think that's biblical. I think it comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, now let's move on. Let, let's talk about the, the controversial verses. In every place of worship, uh, Paul begins in verse 8. So he's giving instructions now for, uh, for the house churches that probably made up the church at Ephesus. Remember, there's no you know, First Baptist Church of Ephesus sitting on a corner. These are house churches, small groups who just meet in, 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 in tiny houses. So when he says, in every place of worship, he's talking about in Ephesus there, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Again, remember, there's conflict, there's controversy in the church, and Paul is trying to inspire the congregation to, to rise above that. Now, I want women to be modest in appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing, not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. I don't think any of us have a real argument with that. I don't think Paul at that point is trying to you know, make any sort of fashion statement. I think he's just trying to bring corrections to a church in a very 
pagan culture where all of the people, I mean, none of them were raised in church, y'all. I mean, the, the gospel's still very new. Um, these are people who've come out of pagan culture and are having to learn the ways of Jesus. So dress is one of the things that you have to, uh, have, have to talk about. Verse 11, women, New Living Translation, women should learn quietly and submissively. I don't let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. Let them learn quietly. Uh, a couple of things there. I know that, that that verse suggests that Paul doesn't want women to speak in church, to, 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 to have teaching authority in church. Um, well, what do we say about that? Uh, well, first off, like I say, there's a life situation here. And we know from reading 1 Timothy, we know from reading 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. I'll refer you to those verses. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In Ephesus, these false teachers have a significant following among a number of, of undiscerning women. I mean, Paul makes this rather clear in, in the letter. Uh, these false teachers are, are, are in many ways supported by, uh, uh, nurtured by, promoted by the women. And so the women are a specific part of the problem uh, in Ephesus. And so in this specific situation, Paul is saying, let them learn quietly and not usurp authority. I don't think, and this is me personally because I, I'm, I read the whole Bible, I don't think that Paul here is forbidding every spirit-filled woman in every church in all places for all time, forbidding every spirit-filled woman from, from speaking out you know, in a, in a teaching situation where men are present. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I don't think that's what Paul's saying because that's not what Paul says elsewhere. You know, for example, in 1 Corinthians, um, you know, Paul gives specific instructions for what a woman should wear when she preaches or prays in public worship. So Paul clearly expects that women will have a, a public, prominent, visible role, vocal role in public worship. He tells them to cover their head. You know? So if you want to be strictly biblical, you don't make women be quiet. You just make them wear a hat you know, in, in church. And I don't hear anybody arguing for that. But again, you have to let Scripture interpret Scripture, and we have to bring ourselves under the authority of the whole of Scripture. And Paul elsewhere gives women instructions on what to wear when they speak out in, in public worship. So I don't think we can take this verse to mean that Paul never means for any woman, you know, in any situation to speak out when men are present. That's absurd. I also don't think in any place Scripture teaches that a woman should submit to every man. Okay, that's insane. You can make an argument from Scripture that, that a woman should submit to her husband in their house. But it doesn't mean my wife's got to submit to your husband, you know. Women are not, you know, Scripture does not put women in some subservient place in the culture. In every place where the gospel is preached, I mean, look at world history, look at church history. In every place where the, where the Christian gospel has freedom, women, women fare better in those cultures. The gospel is good news for women. The gospel elevates the place of women, and the gospel amplifies the voice of spirit-filled women. So don't ever let a verse like this be taken out of context and then used to hammer women into silence. I don't think that's what Paul is doing. I do think there's a problem in the Ephesian church where, 
where uh, women who are led astray by false teachers are speaking out or otherwise taking over, usurping the authority of the designated male teacher, you know, in, in, in that setting. And Paul's saying, I don't want them to do that. Let them learn quietly. Don't let them, you know, take over teaching situations where they're not the teacher, you know, where they're not the designated teacher. That's the way I read it. I know that some of you will disagree, and, and I respect that. Uh, I, I just really do. I don't think that, that there's a clear word in Scripture that lets us forever settle you know, the, the questions about women in the church for everybody in all places. I, I just don't think that's the case. I also don't think it's a gospel issue. So if you and I disagree on some of the specifics of, of women in the church, we can do that. It's not a gospel issue. Uh, it, I think it's one of those places where I, I just prefer to, you know, leave other churches alone. If they want to ordain women, if, if, if they want to just have male deacons, I just say, you know, leave churches alone. Let them follow the Holy Spirit in, in their situation. All of us are trying to be faithful to Scripture, I promise you that. But faithful Bible readers for centuries have read these very same verses and come out in different places. So I just think there's got to be some sort of room for disagreement. But let's disagree with respect and with, uh, again, a recognition that the Bible, the whole of Scripture, is our authority. And all through Scripture, you see women doing all the things that men do. And I just still think that God can use a woman right now in the church to do anything he uses women to do in the Bible. You know, So just read the Bible. If you see a woman doing it in the Bible, then I think a woman can do it in the church. You know, I, I'm simple that way. But if a woman can do it in Scripture, I think a woman can do it in, in our churches today. Anyway, gosh, I, I know, big can of worms. Uh, chapter 3 for tomorrow, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. I, I love this. Again, I, I know there's room for controversy, and some of us you know, would, would love to debate some of these issues, but one way or the other, we're still in the Word, and, and all that is good. So stay in the Word, uh, stay faithful, and I will see you in the morning, Lord willing, 10 o'clock for Tim with Tim. I love you guys. Have a great day.